in this episode of Boss Files. I think I've had the real fortune to have really grown up at NASDAQ. I've had a lot of experience there. I've had a chance to see NASDAQ grow as an organization evolve and become a global technology company. NASDAQ CEO Adina Friedman. She started as an intern in 1993. Today, she's the first woman to lead the global exchange. From artificial intelligence to big data, cloud, and blockchain, how she's navigating the fast-moving changes. We see technology as a relentless you know, change agent, and our job is to embrace that change, to bring it to the industry, and make it so that our industry continues to be a very successful industry in the next decade or even beyond that. Why she says being a woman has not defined her career. Her advice? Own your life. Own your career. Plus, growing up on the trading floor, why visits to her father's office inspired her. I sat down with Adina Friedman at Fortune's Most Powerful Women's Summit. Adina Friedman, thank you for doing this. Absolutely. It's great to be here. It's nice to have you here. We're going to cover a lot of ground, but let's start with this. You are a first in many ways. Well, I think I've had the real fortune to have really grown up at NASDAQ. I started at NASDAQ in 1993, so right. I've had a lot of experience there. I've had a chance to see NASDAQ grow as an organization evolve and become a global technology company. When I started at NASDAQ, it really was a domestic equities exchange. And today we're a global technology company. I think I was part of the effort to create what, we, what it is today. So I understand it well. And it became a very natural progression as opposed to something kind of very different from what people were expecting. Did you think you'd be the first woman in a role like this? I would say that it's, I think that we're all in the United States still surprised that we haven't had frankly, a woman president. Um, so there are a lot of areas where I would say that, that the U.S. continues to have opportunities to yeah. advance women, and certainly in financial services, that's an area where we continue to have opportunity to advance more women. Uh, we're yet to have a woman run a big one of the biggest Wall Street banks, and, we're, you know, and we'll get to that in a moment. But little-known fact, to have some fun first, you're a black belt in Taekwondo. And so when I read that, before I read the backstory on how your son is involved in <laughs> yes. this, I thought maybe she thought she had to kick some serious butt on the way up the corporate ladder. I've never felt that way, actually. So I have to say, I've been in a very, I've been extremely fortunate because I've, in fact, had an amazing experience in my career, always had a very encouraging environment, a very open environment, a very performance-driven environment. Never had to feel like I've had to use my my black belt well, for any good. reason whatsoever well, in that, the corporate world. Because if you did, we probably wouldn't be sitting here today. But what's the real story behind your four-year-old got you into this? Yeah, and you so, got him well, into it? Well, we actually had our four-year-old we felt that perhaps it would he would benefit from an environment of real discipline. And so we, <laughs> we decided to enroll him in Taekwondo. And he actually still does it, by the way. He's now 19. He's there you very, go. very good at it. But as we started, to, um, we started to take him to class, my husband at first said, you know, why am I just standing here watching? Why don't I take it too? And then I decided also, why am I standing here watching? Why don't I take it too? And right. we actually turned it into kind of a family activity. But I still do it, and I, I love it. It's great. One of the lessons you've learned from Taekwondo, and this, these are your words, at the end of the day, you make the most of your situation. It is only up to you. No one else is there to do you a favor. So how does that apply to your life and your career? Well, I do think that it's really, really important to own your life and to own your career. And one of the great things that we're given as a race is just free will. 
right? So we have the opportunity to take that and make the most of it. And I think that we, um, you know, I've been extremely fortunate to have a lot of opportunities put in front of me, but it's up to me to grab onto those. It's up to me to make sure that I make the most sure. of them. And um, I do think that it's really important that people understand that as part of their own career progression. You have to understand where you want to take your own career, and you have to find ways to make it so that you make that happen. And no one else is going to sit there and do it for you. Um, it's really up to you. What about growing up? Let's 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 go there, and then let's go to your days as an intern because you truly grew up also at NASDAQ. I mean, you were an intern there. You went on to, to climb the ladder there. But what you grew up in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and your, your dad worked in finance. So you used to hang out on the trading floor. You just sort of in your blood, just like law was in my blood, although right. I'm not a litigator like my dad. <laughs> but that was the plan originally for me. Um, what was most formative for you about growing up in the family you grew up in and growing up in Baltimore? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is that my parents were very much um, go make the, make the most of everything. They didn't try to manufacture my life. They didn't try to huh. find, you know, they, they were not helicopter parents. Let me put it that way. Uh, okay. They were very uh, willing to let us go and find opportunities to go try new things. They were pushing it. They would push us to test ourselves. Yeah. Um, and they put me on a plane when I was 10 and said, off you go to Portugal, go visit Alone? your parents. Yeah. Um, and go and uh, go and visit your grandparents and experience Portugal because that's where my dad grew up. And uh, I think that that was a very scary experience. But having on the way there, I'm going to honestly say I cried the whole way. On the way back, I felt like this world traveler, right? So in two weeks, it really does you know, open my eyes to world travel. And I felt so much more mature. At 10 years old. At 10. But I think that, you they, do did, that these they did enable you to. <laughs> I, I, my, they were really great at giving me the chance to try these things and, and then to let me sink right or swim on my own. They didn't coddle you. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) You laugh at the concept of them coddling you. Your mom, I would love to meet this woman. I mean, she went to law school herself when you were nine. Right. Yeah. So she, um, she's, when I was writing my business school essay, they asked who was my hero. And I wrote it by my mom because really when I looked at her life, she started off having, having kids herself very young, right out of college. And then, um, and, but decided when I was nine that she wanted to have her own career. And so I had an opportunity to see her go to law school. Her dad was a lawyer. Okay. So she decided to go to law school. I would go and sit in the back of the class when, (laughs) during vacations. And so, that was kind of fun. She was the only student who would bring her 10-year-old to class with her. Um, but I got to watch her go through that experience, become a lawyer, and then become the first mm. woman partner in her law firm. Wow. And so that was very inspirational for me. It made me realize I could do whatever yeah. I wanted. Like I, I had the chance to do whatever I wanted. It was all about what I was willing to, to go for. And I, I don't know what it was, was like for her. My mother uh, totally switched careers, decided she wanted to be a psychologist got her master's and then her doctorate when we were kids. So oh, I, I remember right. like similar. around 10 years old watch, you know, watching her defend her dissertation. But just the thought of now as a mom myself doing that, raising small kids, it I just give her so much credit. But I, I remember asking her why. And she said, look, I you guys fulfill me and fulfilled me so mm-hmm. much. But I was looking at the clock waiting for when your dad was going to come home from work. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be fulfilled professionally myself. Was that part of it for your mom? Oh, I think she looked at it a little bit differently, which is that by the time, so I was nine and my brother was 12, and she started to realize that 
we weren't going to be in the house right. forever, right? So yeah. she started to think about what does she want to, what does she want to be when she grew up, right? So where did she want to take her own life? Yeah. As we, as we kind of started to grow and have our own lives ourselves, and she definitely looked down the road and realized that it was time for her to find something that really fulfilled her. And she definitely, she, I certainly think that choosing law was very much following in her father's footsteps. Do you think you would have chosen the career you've? You chose, I mean, you've spent a lot of time, you've had to spend a lot of time away from home, commuting back and mm-hmm. forth between, uh, where do you live now? Are you? So I'm in D- New York during the week and right. in D.C. on the weekends. Right, yeah. D.C. still. Mm-hmm. So do you think you would have made that choice had you not seen the example of your mother? I think that, I certainly think that both my mother and my father were incredibly, um, they were great examples for me to follow. I think it is, it, that is one of the things that, we are extremely fortunate, frankly, as being children of professional parents yeah. to have an understanding of what it takes to succeed mm-hmm. and to be proud of your parents. Yeah. I was so proud of my dad and I was proud of my mom, I mean, both of them, but they both worked really, really hard. So you could see how hard they had to work to get to where they were. Yep. And it de- definitely gave, you the, gave me the example to follow um, and the work ethic. So let's talk about your career uh, because so far, and it's far from over, I mean, it's one, it's one for the record books. When you started out, a lot has changed in not that long a period of time. But when you started out, you know, most investors received stock quotes by reading them in the paper the next day. Mm-hmm. Times have changed so, so, so much. So let's go back to round one, if, if we can, sure. at the NASDAQ, because you've been there two times. Mid-90s, you're put in charge of figuring out how to market and sell a new trading product. This is called the portal. Mm-hmm. Not glamorous, super hard. You're like having a hard time even getting people to join the team, help you get this done. How did it go? Well, it really was interesting because back in the 90s, NASDAQ really was a for-profit organization inside a not-for-profit organization, right? So they're inside the National Association of Security Sealers, but they were for-profit. So in a way, you had culture clash within the company. And the, the, the for-profit organization started to realize that they had these great trading products, but they needed to figure out how to maximize huh. them for profit, but also to really serve their clients. Right. And it was just a, a different orientation. And I was uh, able to come in and start writing business plans to help them figure out how to do that. And then really early on, when I was 27, they said, well, do you want to try your hand at one? <laughs> so, <laughs> so they were willing to get, take a risk on me and okay. give me responsibility for some of the smaller products. So there was the mutual fund quotation service, that's the one I right. spoke about, as well as actually uh, the, the OTC bulletin board. And it was fascinating. I mean, it was a lot of pressure to own the success or failure of a business. A you weren't small even 30. Business. It was really, it was fast. It was fun. It was a lot of but fun. I it. loved the pressure of it. I did. I found that I loved the pressure. I loved being able to find a way to build a group yeah. that had passion with you. That was, mar- we were all marching down the same road. We had the same goals. And to have that success was really intoxicating, I have to say. So you succeeded at that. 2000 rolls around. You're tapped to lead the, the data division. Mm-hmm. 2003, Bob Greifeld comes in, new CEO, tasks you with a huge job. Right. So I actually continued continue to run the data, data division, but then in 2004, he asked if I would run the corporate strategy for the firm as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, how did it go? I was, so, you know, you have those moments in your career where someone asks you to do something and you sit there and say, really, you think I'm good enough to do that? And instead, but I, you never say that. But you <laughs> question say, your own yeah, you ability. You certainly internally say, wow, is this? So I remember going to one colleague and saying, 
do you really think that I'm the right person to do corporate strategy? And he looked at me, he goes, it's just a bunch of PowerPoints, Adina. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Something tells me it was a little so, more than that. But I, but I have to say, I was so glad that he kind of downplayed it to say, this is going to be fine. You're going to be great at it. I just needed one person to be able to give me that affirmation. Mm. And then, of course, I went back to Bob. I said, of course I'll do it. it. Sounds great. You know, there was no hesitation in my voice. But certainly, you have those moments of thinking, is this the right next step? I would say after that moment, mm-hmm. I didn't question my ability to you didn't. take on the next thing. Because you know they say, they, they, the experts, who knows, who do these studies, they talk about women asking that question, we, women, so much mm-hmm. more than men. That we, if we are not 120% qualified on paper, we don't think we can do it. Whereas it, if men you know, are not even 100% qualified, they don't question whether they can do it or not. What I would say is if you have self-doubt, then don't express it to the person who's asking you. Okay, which you didn't. <laughs> right. And so it's important for you to manage that self-doubt, to, to think about all the, the, the positive things you bring to the role, okay. as opposed to all the things that you think you may not be able to bring. So right. all the things you know that you can bring to the role. And honestly, to take a risk on yourself. Because if they're asking you and they think you're qualified, then you're probably really qualified. So <laughs> you should go ahead and take the job and, and learn as you go. But everyone learns as they go, as they take a new responsibility. Everyone mm-hmm. is, you know, that's the whole point of pro- career progression is to learn something new. It's so true. take the opportunity and, and don't hesitate. And I, I did talk about, um, I was at my high school um, graduation and we were talking about conquering your fears, right? Facing your fears head on because... Yeah. Facing your fear is like a muscle memory. The more you're willing to, t- to face your fear and take on a new risk, the better you get at it. And so earlier in my, early in my career, I definitely, every time I took something on, I can tell you there was a pit in my stomach, but I did never wanted to demonstrate that to the person who was asking. But now, honestly, as after that moment when Bob asked me to do that job, I never really questioned my ability to do something new really? and different after that. So, and then you, you leave NASDAQ. So let's talk about the moment you leave. You come back, but that would mean when you were asked to be CEO, you didn't question your ability. I felt that I was, to be very honest, I felt that I was ready to be the CFO of NASDAQ. I felt that when I went over to Carlisle that yeah. I brought a lot of benefits to the, to the firm as they were facing their own change and as they were going through the process of going public. I felt that I could bring a lot of, a lot of experience and assets to them. And then when I came back to NASDAQ as president, I felt, well, I've already run a PL, I know how to do that. I got this. Um, and then going into the CEO role, Bob did a spectacular job of transitioning the responsibility. He really did. I mean, I would say if you could write a textbook on how to transition huh. a CEO, he did it. He, he would have written it. Do you think he was grooming you? And why do you think ultimately the board and he um, thought you were the best choice? Well, I do think that the board has a responsibility to make sure they're managing succession. For and sure. certainly, as he looked at all the, all the skills that he had among the management team, I certainly was one of those people who would be considered. But the board did a very nice job of um, making sure that I was ready in terms of progressing my responsibilities after I got back. So I came back and ran about two-thirds of the revenue, and then a year later was asked to run 100% of the revenue. And in the meantime, Bob continued to hand more and more decisions to me very slowly. Um, did you, did you and think he did such a great job. Like, okay, they're giving me more and more. This is a test. Can I do it? Will I be the next CEO? I think you have to assume that every time someone gives you more and more, they're testing your ability to take it to the next level. That's Always. True. And I think you should think that when you're 26 or when you're 46. More from my interview with NASDAQ's Adina Friedman after the break. Let's talk about technology because you really have said that you saw NASDAQ as one of the early stage 
fintech companies in so many ways. It's a, I mean, do you do you qualify Nasdaq now? Do you think of it as a technology company? Above yeah, all, we are all a technology else, for company. sure. Yeah. So when you think of AI, when you think of big data, cloud, blockchain, how all of this changes the game for you, where's your head at? Well, I see it as a major opportunity for Nasdaq in particular, because today we are the platform provider to the capital markets. So we provide tech, yeah. you know, market infrastructure technology and surveillance capabilities and data analytics mm -hmm. for our own markets. Right. And then we also provide that to 90 other markets yes. around the world. So we therefore have a great opportunity to define the future of the capital markets in terms of the technology that it sits on. And we are, what's great is that when we invest in our own technology for our own markets, commercially we have the opportunity then to make that available to others. So it gives us more of an incentive to invest in our own markets. Whereas other other exchanges might invest only in their own markets, and so they right. might rationalize that and getting paid by clients exactly. to do it. Exactly. So we have more of an incentive to really bring the best of technology to the markets. So blockchain specifically, and then we'll we'll get into Bitcoin. But first on blockchain, you've called it your words very compelling. You've built a, a team that is specifically working on developing blockchain solutions for your clients. What's your outlook? Because the argument is this will lead to greater efficiencies in post trade processing and settlements, et cetera. Where are we in blockchain? Sure. Well, I think the first thing is that it's very interesting to see how post-trade went from being like the back office thing that no one ever thought about to being the most exciting part of looking at how to take the capital markets forward in terms of efficiency. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of exciting things in the machine intelligence space. There are a lot of exciting things in the trading space. But in the post-trade area, the, if we can make the system more efficient by, by shortening settlement cycles, it mm -hmm. takes a lot of risk out of the system and therefore it makes it so that the banks don't have to be as capital intensive. And that's a big incentive. Uh, that creates a lot of incentive for everyone in the entire network to try to find a way to put mm. this technology in place. However, in the established markets, it is really there's a lot of embedded older technology that you really would yeah. have to rip out in order to be able to put this in. So our view is that the first, the first um, uses of the blockchain will be in less regulated markets, less efficient markets, more bespoke markets. Okay. Test it out show that it works, demonstrate the efficiency in the Nasdaq private market or in the fund industry in, mm -hmm. um, that we, are, we have a partnership in, in Sweden for, um, or in what I would say bespoke uh, contracts, smart contracts. Show it that it works and then start to bring it up into the more regulated markets. Uh -huh. And it takes a village to make it work, but people are going to be highly motivated if you show the use cases, bring a lot of efficiency. Sounds like you're very... What I'm hearing is you're bullish on it. You think this will work in the smaller marketplace and that it will work mainstream. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, I think the technology is a, it's a fascinating and very sound technology. It's just a matter of making sure that the community is all embracing it together because it takes the entire community to make it so that it actually that you create those efficiencies. So what, what about your outlook for Bitcoin? So do I think digital currency is, um, plays a role in the economy in the future? I think the answer is probably yes. Um, I think, though, that how it evolves mm -hmm. and which one, which of the cryptocurrencies may or may not be the one that ultimately gets embraced. I think that that's really the jury's still out on that. Okay. Um, but I do think that the idea of a more globalized payments mechanism that's more efficient mm -hmm. than what we have today, that allows for to money to transfer across country and, um, in, and over certainly to support the internet economy. I mean, there, it feels like it's the right 
the right next step in the in the space of currency, but it's hard to know which one will ultimately be. So the cash winner. is not king in your worldview. It's virtual cash, right? So that's the thing. That's the great thing about the cryptocurrencies. It is kind of a virtual cash, and and I think that <laughs> that's, it's not regulated in the same way that. Well, our... it's not, and I think that's major. That's the major issue. So it's really, you know, are the governments going to start to embrace it, or yeah. are they still going to have it sit outside mm. the realm of their oversight? And that's the real it's question. It's going to be fascinating. Yet to, to be see. answered, honestly. I mean, well. I mean, if you think about it, I was struck by this concept of Venmo, right? Yes, so, that is now how <laughs> I don't mean to do an advertisement for them, but but it's amazing. I mean, we pay all of our service providers now through this kind of electronic means of transferring cash, and we are fine with it, right? So, I do true. think that it's you know the whole world is changing around payments, and it's going to be fascinating to see where it goes. You say one of the biggest lessons you've learned, Adina, is that that change is constant and that change is relentless. And you talk about these two paths that you could have taken in response to the changing times. Um, you wrote about this and you, you spoke about this in, in a commencement address that you gave. You were saying, I could either be like my colleagues who had been very successful uh, in all the different measures of professional success, but refused to acknowledge that a new day was dawning or hitch my wagon to the hottest technology company of the day. Or something in between. Uh, <laughs> so, so I would say that it's, there's a, a range of ways that you can choose to manage your career. Um, and there are a lot of industries that have been remarkably successful over a long period of time. And you can ride that wave for as long as it takes you. You can hit your wagon, as you said, to the next great new thing. Or you can find a way, and I think NASDAQ, frankly, provides the best of both, which is we're in an established industry, we've been successful, but we're never ever um, stopping and pausing to kind of pat ourselves on the back. We see technology as a relentless you know, change agent. Mm -hmm. And our job is to embrace that change, to bring it to the industry and make it so that our industry continues to be um, a very successful industry in the next decade or even beyond that. So you feel well like you took that. risk, but not all risk. Exactly. So that and that's that's that's, that's right from my, my personality. Right. That 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 works for my personality. Okay. You know, some people love the idea of going into that next hot thing, and that yeah. is awesome. I mean, it's an amazing path to take. For me, I would say that I've got a little bit more. I like the idea of having the balance mm -hmm. of having a technology and a proven business model, but then to kind of push the envelope right. with it and take it to the next level. You have also spoken about your life lessons, business lessons, what has helped you succeed. And one of the key skills you've talked about that I, I have not heard a lot of CEOs talk about, but makes a whole lot of sense, is play well with others. Mm -hmm. This is like what we tell our toddlers. <laughs> but you think, at, even at your level, this is key. Oh, I think so. I think that we have to recognize also that if you look at we're in a community now, a global economy, um, I think that you also, if you live in the world, in a binary world of like winners and losers, I personally think that that's not the world that we should, we should be living in. I think that that's not the world we should be promoting. We should be finding a way for us all to kind of, first of all, us all to succeed. We should make it so that our clients have a better ability to succeed. And yes, I do compete. There's no doubt that we have very, very vigorous competition around us. But at the same time, we all have opportunities also to kind of lift the industry or make it so it's more successful so overall. So does that mean you so, pick up the phone and you call your, your biggest I competitors? I think that you have to, well, first, <laughs> so I think that it depends on the conversation. So if it, may, it means that you're advocating for positive change, <laughs> you, can, you, you can work together to advocate for positive 
positive change. And then you can find the next day that you're, you know, you're right up against them on yeah. trying to win a deal. And that's okay. That's the world that I feel like mm. is a very constructive, competitive world. Um, and I really like that. I, I also really like making sure we focus our employees on the client. It's all about what can we do to make the client's life better? What can we do to make it so that they're successful in the next 10 years? Because that will then inform our decisions. And it doesn't make us always just look around us at what our competitors are doing. Sure. It makes it so that we're, we're kind of leading the way. You have said that uh, ideas are only as good as your ability to communicate them. Julie Sweet, CEO of Accenture North America, has talked about banning the memo, doing more video conferences, et cetera. What, what, what was your lesson in communication? What do you mean by that? Well, I do actually think it's really important to have both written and verbal communication skills. My uh, colleagues would tell you that I'm, I'm known for my long emails. <laughs> so I do like writing. I do like being able to articulate it. But you, you say get... reread them. Do not send them without <laughs> rereading them first. 100%. Please, make sure you reread all your emails <laughs> um, before you press send. But I do think it's important, though, to have the ability to take a moment and to be able to reflect and then to be able to write something down and articulate your vision or articulate your goal or articulate whatever message you're trying to convey in a convincing way. But then you also need to use video. You need to use audio. You need to be able to use, we do something called Ask Me Anything within NASDAQ, where you just get online and allow your employees to ask you any questions. Do you, and you and answer do it, yeah, you do, Well, you answer them in real time. So you answer as many as you can in a period of 45 minutes. And it's minutes. really you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, every time. I love it, it's very stressful because all the <laughs> questions are coming in and you're trying to type the answers and you want to be thoughtful but you also want to be quick. And yeah. so all these different means of communication to me are all important. It's important to be thoughtful. It's important though also to be able to be responsive. And I think that is the part of the, a part of the role of a great leader is to make sure that you have a vision that you are able to articulate that vision and you're able to turn that vision into action. So people know what they're working for. That's right. And towards. That's right. You point to a great technologist, a phenomenal founder uh, in terms of, of success professionally, Jeff Bezos, Amazon founder, who says every day is day one. Why do you like that so much? Because it means that you're never going to be complacent. Um, every single day, I honestly feel that every single day I have to work to, for, for my job and work for the company. Every single day, there, I have to make progress. And if you sit down and relax for even a minute, then you're basically losing an opportunity to take your company forward. And I do believe that complacency is the killer of every great company. He so, talks about that. So I really am, I'm, I, I, just, I really ascribe to his message in that way. What keeps you up at night? Well, honestly, outside I, of your kids, which I'm sure <laughs> do. Uh, so I think that what keeps me up at night is making sure we are, in fact, able to act on the opportunities that we have in front of us. And, and from an execution perspective, that we're really we're, we're maximizing the opportunity that's in front of us. I, honestly, that is what keeps me up at night, making sure we have all the right pieces in place to be able to execute on it the right way. And then making sure that we can we can measure it and monitor it appropriately. What about hacking? Um, in 2010, Nasdaq had a hack of your, as you point out, non-trading system. Mm -hmm. But I mean, every single business and individual has to deal with this reality right now. Banks spend a ton of money on protecting themselves from it. Nasdaq runs more than 100 markets now, including your own. Um, where's your head at uh, on 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 the risks? and the prevention side. Yeah, I think every CEO has to have that as very much a top agenda item to be really focused on. And I think that 
unfortunately, the reality is all of the news has made it so that every CEO has, I think, now woken up to the risk and is really focused on it. We've been fortunate because we were an industry that very early went online. So if you think about online brokerage started in 1995, and so it was very early in the internet's life, we were also an electronic exchange. So we were already networked, and we were networked around the world, around the nation very early. And so IT security has kind of been embedded in the DNA of the financial services industry much very early. So we've had 20, over, you know, 25 years of, of uh, learnings and, and experience and investment. And we've also never, ever gotten complacent. You know, you can never get complacent around IT security. It's always, it's a constant investment. It's a constant exploration of what is coming, where can you add new protections in, what technologies can you bring into your cadre to make sure that you're well protected, and to make sure you maintain a lot of focus and attention on it. So I'm not saying, I mean, it's always going to be a risk to every company and every industry. I do think we manage it well, but it is always something we focus on. But is this an area where you, you know, will always say, whatever amount of money you need, whatever staffing you need, this is in, in many ways sort of priority number one. I say that we are in a constant investment mode and we always are looking at how we can make sure that if we need to increase our investment, we always will. It's just in, uh, the, the whole IT security team reports directly to the audit committee as well so okay. that you have an opportunity to have the oversight from a governance level as well. Again, back to the first, you are the first woman to lead a global exchange, to lead a U.S. exchange. And you've said you hope that you sitting in this role, sitting in the seat you sit in now, opens the door for other women. Why is it that when you look at the numbers, you look at the catalyst numbers, women make up just 30 percent of executives, top executives at S&P 500 companies, only 6 percent CEOs, why are we still where we are in 2017? Well, I think the first thing I, I always look at and say, look at it in relative to history and how far we've come in a relatively short period of time in the span of history, if you think about this century. Every generation, I feel like it's getting much easier. Every generation. I think our mother's generation really had to fight for the right to be at the table. And, and I think that they, they did it extremely successfully. And then, you know, if you look 10 years later, then it became a little bit easier, but it still was maybe fighting for um, uh, acceptance amongst their family or whatever it was, right? But I think at this generation, if I look at my children and as they're getting out into the work world and the, the relationships they have, I think there's a total expectation that men and women will have equal opportunity and will go as far as they want their careers to go. And so I really believe that we've actually made a lot of progress. It's just that we have certain areas where we have to break through. And in many ways, I think we are doing that. You're certainly glass half full on this question. (laughs) You've also said that being a woman has not defined my career so far. And I've read that you're not wild about the term feminism. All so right. I, I'm, I'm a believer that I've been, I'm very fortunate to be given a lot of opportunity, but I think I've been given that opportunity because I've performed well. A meritocracy. And, and I'm, I'm a huge believer in the meritocracy. And I believe that if you offer the opportunities around and you, the big thing is getting them to recruit the right people in the door. And once you do that, if you have the right environment and allow them to perform and allow them to demonstrate their strengths and give them the opportunities, then everyone should have an equal opportunity to move ahead. But it is, again, up to them to take that opportunity. 
um, and to make sure that they make the most of that opportunity. And that's the environment that we like to create at NASDAQ, and I think that's the environment I've been fortunate enough to work in. And I think with that, we will continue to see more women taking that opportunity and going further. But it, it is, I mean, you're surrounded by more men than women at work, is that right? That's correct. Okay. So is, should parity be the goal in leadership? Do I you think, think that gender uh, parity. I believe that if the right people are in the door, then they should be given an equal opportunity to succeed. Whether that results in parity is going to be whether or not you're good at recruiting the right people mm. in the door. But the recruitment is a key issue. It's a very key issue. And I think that's why if you look at certain industries, whether it's tech, and we do yeah. define ourselves as a technology company or in finance, you see so so many fewer yeah. <laughs> women in the recruitment pool that it makes it, you know, so therefore it makes it harder to reach parity, even if every one of those women that's is given the same opportunity moving out, up the door. Right? And that's why we've got to get more women to go into finance, to get more yeah. women to go into tech and to take advantage of the education that's available to them because that will then get them into the industry. So I'm a big believer that we have to encourage more students, more girls to realize that math is fun. Um, to realize that computer science is really interesting and to basically make them feel like they can get as far as they want to go yeah. in those fields and therefore yeah. take that and, and, and have an education. In that I certainly area. hope that's the way my daughter sees it. I, I certainly do. You have said, and you, you admit, uh, your words, the financial service, services industry has an image issue. I think that is true. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I think that, you know, the, obviously the, the credit crisis kind of created yeah. as a major issue for the economy, and we have to own that issue as an industry. I think NASDAQ as a technology company is there as kind of a neutral provider of technology to the industry. But as a general matter, I think financial services is still recovering from the, you know, kind of the image that came out of the credit crisis. So what's your pitch then to young folks that are in college? Because we've seen millennials especially so many studies have been done on why you know so many do want to go work um look silicon valley is facing many of its own issues right now including many sexism issues we have seen some of the talent go from wall street to silicon valley instead right or choose choose jobs you've written about this talked about this that pay a lot less in different sectors because of the image issue right and because of a perception issue so what's your pitch then well, I mean, people. certainly for, for NASDAQ specifically, our pitch is that NASDAQ provides the technology that drives economic growth around the world. And you could argue that banks provide the, the fuel for growth around the world. So if you really, if the, if the company is doing the job that it's meant to do and following its mission, which I think NASDAQ is very good at doing, then we are giving uh, young people an opportunity to come in and truly change the economic progress of a country or truly change the economic opportunity to companies that they, that they care about. So if we're here providing the market infrastructure to an, an emerging economy somewhere else in the world, we are literally changing the trajectory of that country You're by giving the them a fair, and a, and a fair market, an advanced market that promotes you know, international investment, that promotes um, companies to be able to drive them, basically allow them to go public and to get access to capital. And that changes the trajectory of a country. That is a really great message to give a That's young person. That's the story behind the numbers that you need to tell, right? So that's the story that we actually believe in. That's the mission that we're on. And that then makes it so that you know, young people coming into, the, into NASDAQ specifically realize that they're here more than just to have a fun experience, but they're actually here to make a difference. There has been a lot written and discussed, debated 
about whether or not the financial crisis, 2007-2008, would have been to the extreme, the magnitude it was, were there more diversity in leadership, gender diversity, more minorities in leadership? What do you think? If there had been more diversity of thought in leadership, do you think it would have been to the magnitude that we saw? I don't usually like to try to um, hypotheticals. Hi- do hypotheticals. I'm, I'm definitely a person who's based in reality, so I have to say, I've always been very practical. I would say, though, that if we look at the industry, I think we've learned a lot from that situation. Sure. I think that we are um, much stronger as an industry today than we were then. I think the more diversity of thought and the more diversity of, of views is always going to drive to a better decision. Um, and so as we continue to bring more great people into the industry, I believe that we will end up with better outcomes. And on politics, you dabbled in politics. You worked in the office of then-Senator Al Gore at one point in time. But about your time in D.C., you have said, I realized government wasn't quite as idealistic as I thought. Definitely. So, I mean, when you're a college student and you're a political science major and you think, oh, I'm going to go to the center of power. I actually, I also worked for then Congressman Cardin. He's now a senator. Yeah. And you go in and you have this idealistic view that, you know, it's all about the people. Um, and it's all about doing everything that you can do to further the needs of the people. I do actually think, I, working out in the, uh, the field offices, you are, in fact, working for your constituents. I was amazed at how much work that the senator and the congressman did for individuals in their in their Good. Um, district. I was actually really, really impressed. That was, was like but the, not that was the to best part of politics. In politics. But down in you know D.C., when you're in the halls of Congress and yeah. you're watching the lobbyists and you're watching kind of the the way it all works, you realize that there's. It's not quite as idealistic as just doing everything that's you know, right for the people. There's a lot of other interests that come into play. So does that mean politics, Washington, out of the question for you? I mean, this is home for you. I'm We're very, in Washington. <laughs> I, I love NASDAQ. I love everything <laughs> there is to love about NASDAQ. That I is love a the great fact. Political, that is a great politician's an, non-answer to my question. But it is. I mean, I am a huge believer in the mission of what we do. I also like, I love, I have to say, I love my job. I really do. I'm really really enjoying it. I really like the, I, the ability to make change, to drive the company forward, to have a great team of people around me. There are a number of CEOs, I think almost every CEO I've interviewed that have asked this question to, the general response is that. And it's also, Washington is so broken, I feel like I can affect more change from my corner office right now. Do you feel like you can make a lot of change now more than potentially you could in public office at this point? I do believe that being the CEO of a company gives you a lot of opportunity to control the destiny of the company, to control your own career destiny, and to make it so that you can make change within the space that you're in um, and, and continue to progress in industry. And I think this is a very important industry to be in, the financial industry. And I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to have the opportunity to help progress it. Congratulations on being a first. Good luck. It's an exciting space. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 